someone close to me died suddenly and it really affected me. I started thinking about my own existence and whether I was truly living a life that had meaning. And a lot of the time, the answer was no. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of changing career paths so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work they find more fulfilling. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share her story of relaunching her career as a journalist to become the head of communications at a venture capital firm. We're going to talk about what triggers someone to rethink their career and how strong relationships are often the gateway to new opportunities. Afterwards, I'll address a listener's question about how to figure out your next career move when no particular direction jumps out to you. Today, I'm speaking with Bomi Lee, who's the head of communications at Sofanova Partners, where she heads up the global communications strategy for a leading European venture capital firm in life sciences that invests into healthcare and sustainability. Previously, Bomi worked in startups, building international brands and communication strategies in the med tech sector. But she started her career 20 years ago as a journalist for the International Herald Tribune. Now, I first crossed paths with Bomi when she spoke on an alumni career panel Panel after a career change workshop I hosted for HEC Business School in Paris. I decided to invite her to share her story on the show because I felt like she provided some especially thoughtful perspectives on navigating career changes and thought you might also enjoy hearing her thoughts and advice on topics related to networking, mindset, and reevaluating your career. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 79. Bomi spoke with me from Paris. Good morning, Bomi, and welcome to the Career Relaunch Podcast. It is great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Joseph. What are you focused on right now in your career and your life amid everything going on? Well, I started my current job just over a year ago. And at the time I had just finished my executive MBA program and was looking for a change. I had a couple of offers on the table and one of them, on paper at least, would have been a much bigger leap for me. But in the end, I decided to go with this one. And I have to say it was the best decision of my life. And can you give us a glimpse into your role at Sofanova Partners, which is a VC firm in life sciences? What are you focused on there? Exactly. So uh, it's a really exciting time in communications for this sector because finance in particular, private equity is not what you would call at the cutting edge of communications. If you can think about one finance company that is doing some groundbreaking things in comms, there aren't a whole lot that would come to mind. And so there's a lot we can do to shift that. And I'm heading up the communications team in Sofinova. And that's very exciting because I feel like it's a little bit of a startup initiative within a large organization. And there's a lot of possibility. And the startup world is one that I love. Very exciting. And it seems like a really exciting space to be in right now, especially when healthcare is so forefront in the news and in our lives at this particular moment. Now, I want to go back in time and talk about your time before you worked in communications at a VC firm in the life sciences there in Paris. But before we do that, can you just also tell me a little bit about where you're from originally, where your family's from, your personal background? I was born in Canada. 
My family is Korean Canadian. They immigrated to Canada after the war. And we ended up going back to Korea when I was in high school. And I finished up my studies there, went back to Canada to go to journalism school, and then came to France uh, about 20 years ago to continue my studies in political science. My parents are in Korea. My brother is in Malaysia, and I have another brother in Canada. So it's a challenge to see each other, but we really, you know, we're very close. And I think that's been one of the hardest parts about the pandemic is not being able to just get on a plane and see the people you love, which is, I think as an expat, you really count on that facility and possibility of being able to do that at any time. Yeah, that is really tough. I was just talking to my wife this morning about just not knowing exactly when I can go back to the United States, which is where I'm from, because I haven't been there over a year and a half now. And yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty around that. Speaking of mobility, you mentioned journalism and how you studied journalism. Can we go back in time a little bit and talk about your time in the world of journalism? And then we can move forward from there. And maybe we could start with your time at the International Herald Tribune. Sure. At the time, it was called the International Herald Tribune, and then it uh, was rebranded the International New York Times. And I was there when a lot of those changes were happening. I was part of a great team that were spearheading the digital side of journalism. At the time, we were taking the print version of the paper and uploading it onto the website. We were calling it the website, basically the exact copy of the print version that day was our website. Like PDFs or something Almost, like that. almost, yeah, practically a PDF. Very cut and paste kind of job and very manual. And what happened was, you know, this was early 2000s, Twitter happened, you know, we started seeing the potential of the web. We started seeing that sending reporters and photographers out to these sometimes war zones, very dangerous areas. They were coming back with amazing reporting, photography, and the print format is limited. Whereas digital, you could make a slideshow with 12 of the best photos. You could have an interview with the reporter about what it was like to actually be on the scene and not be limited in space or by deadlines. It was really a shift in the industry and it was very exciting because there was a lot of change going on. And in that sense, I was very lucky to be there when that was happening and meeting people who were willing to take that risk and try something new. So yeah, that was my time at the IHT. Very, very fond memories. I guess I should also just ask you, because I know you said you're from Canada and then you moved and it sounds like your first professional experience was in Paris. What was that like for you to make that sort of geographical and also cultural change that early on in your career? So the IHT was my first real professional experience in Paris. It was based in Neuilly-sur-Seine, which is just outside of Paris. And that was a very expat American <laughs> you know, okay. Anglophone experience. I had colleagues I who, yeah, there was a multicultural group, but it was still very North American in its culture and the way we worked. We ate at our desks. You know, there was, <laughs> we learned a lot from our truly French colleagues who had a different way of working. And I didn't get to experience that fully until I left journalism and joined the startup world in a French med tech startup specializing in confocal endomicroscopy. That was really my first French experience in the workplace. And that also was quite international, but it's the first time I was exposed to a lot of 
different ways of working. It was a big learning experience for me. And how did you end up making that shift from journalism into the world of medical technology? Was that just an interest of yours? Did it sort of opportunistically happen? It was very serendipitous in a way. I had been at the Herald Tribune for, I think it was five, six years, and the digital operations started doing really well, and they wanted to bring it back to the mothership in New York. I wasn't ready to leave Paris at the time, so I left. And in the meantime, I had had my first two daughters, and I wasn't really in a hurry to go back into the working world. I wanted to spend some quality time with our new family. And I've had a couple shifts in my career, and each time it's been closely tied to people, people who were willing to take a chance on me, even if I didn't come from their world and have the usual credentials and people who were leading a vision or a mission I believed in and I wanted to be part of. So when I was interviewing, I guess when I was on the unemployment list in France, you're obligated to send out a few CVs a month to show that you're actively searching to get your benefits. And I ended up, not very actively, but I ended up speaking to someone who was looking for in addition to the marketing communications team to help on the digital side. And since I've been working on the digital side at the Trib, that's what got me my foot in. But there, you know, it was a whole new world. I didn't know startups. I'd never worked in a French company before. I didn't know anything about medicine. I'm not a scientist. So there was a lot of unknowns. But what really motivated me was the person that was hiring me, their vision, the vision of the company, all of that I felt was really exciting. And we had the potential of helping people to detect cancer more easily and be alleviated of the anxiety around that and get a diagnosis much faster, more accurately. And that part of it really spoke to me. So I jumped in. And you mentioned something there, Bomi, that I think comes up a lot with people when they're thinking about making a change, which is to pursue roles that at least on paper may not seem like they are directly aligned with your background or your skill set. You mentioned that people were willing to give you an opportunity, even though you didn't necessarily come from that specific sector. What was it about, I guess, your approach or how you went about this that you felt opened the doors to you with these opportunities that at least didn't initially seem like they would be possible or viable? I think opportunities are linked to people. And so if you are able to demonstrate to someone, even though they don't know whether you're able to deliver on a certain type of job description, if you're able to demonstrate that you're able and willing to, that you have a background or a track record, not necessarily in the same domain, but transferable skills that could be valuable to a job, even though it's completely a new sector or a new type of role. I think that's where the key is. And that's also what has given me subsequent opportunities in areas, you know, after that particular role in that startup, I went on to another startup that was less in the B2B space, more in the B2C or B2C to B space in diabetes, in novel technology for insulin delivery for type 1 diabetes. And that is much more speaking directly to the consumer, to the end user. And I had no experience in retail before. But the person who gave me that opportunity was also someone I had crossed paths with in the past. And she believed that I could come and do the job. So a lot of it 
think has to do with making those connections with people who will open those doors for you. And I'm very grateful to them for having given me that chance. Can you just share a glimpse into your approach to networking? Because it sounds like these people you've come across have actually been quite useful, helpful people in your life. And at the same time, I know that some people who are, if you want to call it networking or building professional relationships, they sometimes will tell me, well, yeah, they're not really fruitful or they're not materializing into anything. What's your mindset when you go about connecting with people professionally or just building out your professional network? Networking for me is building a safety net for the future. So the approach I think that is very important to take in networking is not that you're trying to sell yourself or trying to find opportunities for yourself, but that you are trying to be useful to someone and make a meaningful connection so that when the time comes, if the time comes, because sometimes it never does, it's an investment. So you never know what it's going to end up being like. But I think if you go into a networking opportunity with the mindset that I'm going to try to find a way to be completely authentic, to find people that I connect with naturally and find ways to be useful to that person, even if it's a really small thing like, uh, oh, are you in Paris for the first time? You know, do you know a good restaurant? Can I make a recommendation? Just finding connections or common threads that you can connect on. And I think it's all about the human relationship. You can tell, obviously, I, I'm sure you've heard of Adam Grant and his yes. theory on givers and takers. If you go into a simple conversation, you can tell when someone is there because they want something from you, or you can tell when they're just there to have a nice exchange. And that really comes across. And I think the best kind of networking is really when you can go in, go into a conversation with a serving mindset, a helpful mindset, a giving mindset rather than taking. Yeah, it's really helpful advice. Good reminder that it's definitely about relationship building and it can be better to think about it more long-term. You mentioned the experience you had in diabetes management. So that was at the Cell Novo group in Paris. Is that correct? Exactly. What was that like for you to work in the space of diabetes management? And how did you think your career was going to evolve there? And then how did it ultimately evolve? It was a very exciting opportunity because I was able to see much more clearly the impact our work was having on people's lives, on the quality of their life. And I was able to meet directly with patients who were using our technology. And that's very motivating. You know, that's sort of the red thread between what I did in journalism and what I've found in healthcare is there's a public service that you're contributing to the world. And in journalism, that was information so that people could make decisions and run democracies. And in healthcare, we're working on innovative technologies that can help save lives and help people to be happier. And I really, I need that kind of deeper purpose, I suppose. That's what gets me up in the morning, knowing that I am contributing to something that is helping others. The other topic I would like to talk with you about is during your time at Celnovo, you actually decided to pursue an executive MBA. Can you just explain to me what was your thinking behind that? How did you come to the decision that you wanted to go back to school and just explain what prompted you to pursue an executive MBA? Sure. 
So I would have to take you a few years back, actually, to when I decided to embark on a career change, because I think the first factor was that my youngest daughter finally started sleeping through the night. And until that point, my husband and I <laughs> <That's> helpful, <yeah. laughs> had been on survival mode, just trying to remain relatively functional and coherent. Our lives revolved mm-hmm. around the daily routines and needs of our three daughters. So uh, it's completely normal, but <laughs> it's exhausting. And suddenly when they were out of diapers, going to school, you know, sleeping regularly, I was able to lift my head and see beyond the fogginess of sleep deprivation. And that's when, and that's when things started becoming more clear. And it's, it's also when start, things started hitting me and I realized, hmm, not sure I like what I see, you know, ahead. At the same time, there was a second trigger. Someone close to me died suddenly. And it was the first time I experienced such a loss and it really affected me. I started thinking about my own existence and whether I was truly living a life that had meaning. And a lot of the time the answer was no. So I decided, well, I'm gonna have to do something about this. I don't know what, but looking back at that time, I gravitated towards books about death because it helped me to clarify life, you know, its purpose, my purpose and how I wanted to write the rest of my story. So that brings me to, you know, your question about the MBA. The third thing, you know, that really happened in this big shift was I enrolled in a part-time executive MBA. I didn't know at the time exactly what I wanted, but my goal was to come out on the other end with more knowledge and more options and more confidence to be able to change the direction of my career and my life. So I actually had a client of mine just ask me about this topic of going back to school and he's been working for a while in the corporate world. And one of the questions that he has and one of the hesitations that I often hear come up when people talk about returning to school are things like the opportunity cost of stepping away from work. I know that's not directly relevant in your case because you're still working full time when you're doing an executive MBA. But how did you think about the trade-offs between just putting your head down, continuing to focus on work versus adding yet another task on top of your already busy life and pursuing an executive MBA? I think it was the realization that I was very unhappy and that the road ahead was not one that was going to be enough for me. It really was this realization that I was unhappy, that I had done everything I thought I should do to fulfill all the criteria that should lead to a good life and going to good schools, you know, getting a job, finding a life partner, having kids, giving back to the community, all those things that I thought should make me happy and fulfilled and then coming to a realization that actually, no, this was not going to cut it for me. And it was really hard when I realized one day that I had no idea how I got here. Everything I had worked towards so diligently might have been for all the wrong reasons. And it made me dig very deep into the past, childhood experiences, painful moments that I may have buried or brushed over. I found myself revisiting everything, questioning everything. Was there something in particular that you felt was missing from your career or your life at the time? I think at the time it wasn't that 
anything was missing, but when I looked ahead at the trajectory of my life, I didn't like where it was leading. One of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou is when she said, if the world puts you on a road you do not like, if you look ahead and you don't like what you see, you know, you don't like the destination you're being led to, then you need to step off that road and build a new path. You might not know where that path is going, but the first step really is to take that leap and say, okay, I'm going into the unknown. <laughs> and if I weigh all of those risks and uncertainties, it's still worth it. It may not work out, but in the end, it's worth doing something that's very scary and uncertain than to know that I will be stuck on a path that seems pretty clear in terms of what those limitations will be. And what was it about where that road was leading you that made you feel like you were traveling in the wrong direction? In France, especially in the working world, there is still an expectation that you are able to do a certain job because you went to the right schools and you had the right credentials to be able to do it. And my role at Salnovo was taking me more into an area that I felt I didn't have that knowledge or the credentials for into the business side rather than the communications and the digital side. We were it was a public company, we were dealing with investors, we were having to put out quarterly reports and I wasn't feeling like I had enough knowledge to be able to translate the meaning of our quarterly reports to the investors. If I were to get a question, for example, there were areas like that where I felt that, okay, I've done everything I can to learn on the job from the people who are very happy to help me, but I've come to a point where I need to accelerate. If I continue trying to learn on my own, I'm only going to get so far and I want to be farther. I don't want to be limited because of this. So that was one of the main driving factors for going back to business school, to a school that is recognized in France, one that has a very good network, to be able to get not only the benefits of everything that comes with going to a recognized, reputed school, but also to have a more formal understanding, the structures and the theory behind everything that I was trying to apply in my day-to-day -day job. So you go to Ashusi Paris Business School. What then happens as a result of that or in parallel to doing your executive MBA as you thought about your next move in your career? So I went into the MBA thinking, okay, I'm going to get a degree, get the knowledge I need and come out on the other end with more career options. And what ended up happening was that when you're not happy with one aspect of your life, then often it's linked to a lot of other things. And I, I didn't realize how deeply that impacted all of my other life decisions. But I suppose a job really can define an identity. And once you start digging into the whys and the hows of that identity, you realize that it's closely linked to other life decisions. <laughs> so, so a lot in there, yeah. Exactly. So professional questioning, you know, that was one part of it. But 
I met a lot of people who were going through similar challenges and we really connected because you end up questioning a lot of different parts of your life and feeling very alone at times. I know that there were really some solitary moments for me where I felt that I didn't know if I could talk to anybody, you know, I didn't know who might understand around me and being able to connect with others in that MBA program, my peers, my colleagues who were in a similar stage of their professional lives and were also going through the emotions of that change. It was very comforting to know that I wasn't alone. Yeah, it can be a very lonely, solitary journey when you are revisiting your past and your history and a lot of stuff. I've been there myself. A lot of stuff comes up and um, you kind of realize these things you've been carrying around for quite a long time and that can be a lot to handle. I'm just curious, before we talk about some of the lessons you've learned along the way in your transitions, I have to ask, how did you then discover the opportunity at Sofanova and what prompted you to move there? It was a result of a connection that I'd made through HEC, my advisor for my capstone project, which is like the end of the year business thesis. He was someone who helped me a lot along the way. And when I was finishing up my degree, the company, so Selnovo, actually, we weren't able to raise enough capital to continue operations. And we started shutting things down. It was a very difficult time. And what ended up happening was I, I think it was June 13th, I graduated and a few days before we officially closed the company. So I felt a huge emptiness and I didn't know what to do. And so my advisor really helped in a lot of ways. He helped me to get through that. He was someone who helped me on the content of that paper, but also tried to help me find that next step. And he introduced me to the former chairman of Sophie Nova Partners and said, look, you know, you never know. He's part of the network. He knows a lot of people. One of my ex-colleagues found out I had met with him and later told me, you know, you've just met the godfather of biotech investing in France. <laughs> He's a really big guy. <laughs> and I thought, wow, really? I, he didn't come off as he was so, you know, I, I just had such a good connection with him. We sat down for coffee. That's really all we did. And we just talked and it was such a good conversation. But I think this is where, you know, going back to networking, if you go in just with no expectations, really just with the right mindset, then magic can happen. And that's exactly what happened. He ended up introducing me to the current chairman. We had a few conversations there at the beginning. It was just talk of a few consulting gigs and seemed really exciting. But one thing led to the next and all of a sudden they were saying, well, we might have, might have enough here for a full-time job. What do you think? So that's how it happened. The last thing I was hoping to talk with you about before we wrap up, Bomi, is just some of the lessons you've learned along the way of your very interesting career change journey that has been filled with some pretty major transitions. So you and I first crossed paths when you served on an alumni panel at HEC Paris Business School that came after a talk I gave there about career change a couple weeks ago. And one of the things 
that you said that really stuck out to me and kind of prompted me to want to get you on the show was when you were discussing transitions and when you mentioned, and I think you alluded to this earlier, you're motivated because you're willing to leave something behind to pursue something greater. What did you mean by that? This is definitely one of the big lessons that I took away from this experience. You just need to embrace the pain. This is the quote that we talked about from the Japanese American writer, Haruki Murakami, who says pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And it's true. When you decide to make that leap into the unknown, it's an opportunity for growth. And that growth comes with pain and the struggle is all part of it. So keeping that in mind and the fact that it's not necessarily about the finish line, but the journey puts things into a completely different perspective. And that for me was one of the things that was the key takeaways. The other thing is that, as you said, there's a point where you're willing to leave everything behind because the opportunity to pursue something bigger is that much more important. Career change is a team sport. Yes, you know, the decision and the courage needs to start with you. Yes, you do have to do the hard work, but there are so many people who helped me along the way and in a million ways, whether they know it or not. But I think there was a turning point for me when I realized that if I was going to continue along this path, I would be unhappy. And if I was unhappy, it would impact the people that I love the most. So I had to make the leap because it was the chance to become a person that I want to be for my daughters, for my husband, for my parents, you know, for my brothers, my friends. And that risk was worth it because the potential end point was that much greater. You mentioned there, embrace the pain. What was most painful for you about making your career moves? Again, back to the idea that career change is a team sport. Maybe sport is too light a word <laughs> because there are a lot of dark moments, doubt and frustration and confusion and, and anger. The point is, uh, the hardest thing is actually taking that leap. It's very scary. It's something that took me a lot of time to decide to actually do. And when I did, I was very glad. But it's also recognizing, I think the other big lesson for me in this was that it's only when I recognized that my limitations were self-imposed that I was able to go beyond them. And that change of perspective was key to opening so many more doors to new possibilities. The final question for you here before we wrap up is um, just around that idea of introspection. Having pulled off multiple transitions that seem to me at least to be pretty difficult to pull off, what have you learned about yourself along the way? I can't do everything on my own. I need to ask for help. What is difficult for me is I'm very independent, <laughs> very self-reliant. So having to ask for help has always felt like a weakness, but the incredible thing that happened was when I realized that I couldn't get through this on my own, that I started reaching out to people. It just started coming from everywhere. My mentors, my coaches, my my HEC colleagues, 
my husband, my family, everyone was there to help me get through this. And it really, it was, it was great to see that I had all these people to help me along. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's next for you? What are your hopes as you look ahead in your career, Bomi? The way I've been thinking about my next steps are in the context of how I would like my life to evolve from this point. And I've been thinking a lot about the past and in the first part of our lives, we receive and take, you know, from our parents, our teachers, our communities. We choose a lifestyle and career. We feed ourselves of knowledge and experience. And what I'd like to do now is to shift into what I think should be the logical next step, which when we have received so much in life, then we should give and using the knowledge and experience that we've gained to empower and help others, I, which you are an expert at in helping people to do this transition, I would love to go more in that direction. And so I'm really grateful for this opportunity to share my experience with you. And I really hope it will help others who might be going through similar struggles. Well, thank you so much, Bomi, for telling me more about your shift from journalism to the world of communications, and then also spending your time in the healthcare sector, how you managed to connect with people during those important transitions in your career, and also the importance of ensuring that your career aligns with the kind of life you want, not only for yourself, but also the people around you. So best of luck with your current role and all your future endeavors. Thank you, Joseph. It's been a pleasure. So I hope you heard some useful insights from Bomi about reevaluating your career direction, the trade-offs of staying put versus trying something new, and why your professional network can play a key role in your career pivot. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to address a listener's question about how to figure out where to take your career when nothing really jumps out as an obvious option. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to mention another podcast to check out. Have you ever wondered how to manage imposter syndrome or how to confront a bad manager? If so, be sure to check out the How To Podcast with Amanda Ripley, who's a best-selling author and investigative reporter on the hunt for answers to life's toughest questions. Each week, listeners reach out with their problems, and Amanda connects them with the perfect experts who offer advice that can be life-changing. You can even hear my own chat with Amanda about how to advance your career by quitting your job in the November 16, 2021 episode. Look for How To from Slate wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to address this question from Mark in Texas. Hi, Joseph. This is Mark in Texas. Thank you for so many informative podcasts. They've been incredibly helpful for me as I contemplate my career transition. I've been self-employed for several years. I'm interested in a career transition that provides more interaction with others, meaning and fulfillment. There aren't any specific career paths or volunteer opportunities that are calling out to me right now. Do you have any recommendations on an approach for discovering this? Thanks so much. Well, first off, Mark, thanks for listening to the show. And I'm happy to hear you find this podcast helpful as you think about your own career transition. When it comes to uncovering which career change would bring you the most fulfillment, I'll start off by saying that I wish I had a simple answer to this question which is a very common struggle I hear from many people thinking about making a change. It's not unusual to be clear on the fact you don't want to continue down your current path, 
but to not be completely clear on exactly what to do instead. And there's a bit of a chicken and egg conundrum here because without actually heading down another career path, it can kind of be hard to really understand whether that path is the right or wrong one for you. So when it comes to getting more of that interaction, meaning and fulfillment you're seeking, the steps someone would take to find this would of course vary depending on someone's specific career situation. But I'll mention three broad ideas for you to consider that can perhaps help you fit a few more pieces into what can feel like an unsolvable puzzle. First, I'd try to connect with who you are. I feel like we can all get a little caught up in the rat race of our careers and lives. It definitely happens to me. And the new year is actually a really good time to take a step back and think about what you want more of and less of in your career and your life. That could mean your values, which I define as the things you believe are important for you to have in your work and life. For example, a few of my values include doing things that energize me, being able to be there for people important to me, and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Or another exercise I find is helpful is to look back on the professions that appealed to you as a child, and specifically the characteristics of those things as a clue into what you genuinely enjoyed before the weight of societal expectations, financial pressures, or just life started to influence your choices. For example, for me, I actually originally wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid, but the characteristic of being a doctor that appealed to me was the idea of helping other people when they're in some sort of pain, which helped me focus on a narrower range of professions to ultimately consider and pursue. Second, I'd try to talk with people doing work you may be considering. During every single one of my pivots, what I found more helpful than sitting at my desk and doing my own research and analysis of options, which is what I typically do, was to speak with actual people about my situation so I could get out of my own head a bit. For me, that's sometimes meant booking some sessions with a professional, like a career counselor or coach who could serve as an objective sounding board. And at other times, it's meant doing informational interviews with people working in those fields I was considering. Third, to alleviate a bit of pressure here, don't feel like you have to make the perfect next move. I completely understand the desire to do that, but having worked in the career change space for nearly a decade now, I've consistently seen that those who make imperfect moves in broadly the right direction end up progressing further and faster toward their career ambitions compared to those who stay put while they try to map out the perfect move that checks all the boxes of what they want. So I try to make a short list of the key characteristics that are must-haves versus what's probably a much longer list of nice-to-haves and see if that helps you brainstorm ideas or narrow the sea of options out there. Just to give you one example, when I was in business school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew creativity was important to me and working in a role that had a decent work-life balance was critical. So that helped me rule out some industries known for having long demanding hours like consulting or investment banking and helped me rule in my eventual path of marketing. Anyway, I know that may feel a bit open-ended and broad, but perhaps one or more of those ideas can help you start to uncover which path could be better for you to pursue. What is really important though 
is to just make sure you honor this feeling you're having about wanting to do something else and to avoid the common trap of just settling back into your current career path that you know deep down isn't giving you that interaction, meaning, and fulfillment you mentioned you're seeking. It sounds like this is very important to you, and I hope you eventually uncover some potential options. That brings me to that quote Bomi mentioned that I thought was worth saying again from Maya Angelou. If you're going down a road and don't like what's in front of you, and look behind you and don't like what you see, get off that road. Create a new path. So my challenge to you, if you know you're not happy with your current role, but you're not exactly sure what to do instead, is to force yourself to take some proactive action, which I believe is what leads to opportunity and further illumination. So whether it's doing something more reflective, like reconnecting with your values or childhood, or something more active, like doing some informational interviews with people in industries you're considering, I hope you can eventually then take your best guess at what could make you happier. If you have a question you want to ask me about career change, or just want to share your own story of making a bold move in your own career, I'd love for you to leave me a message at careerrelaunch.net slash 79, where you can also find highlights from my chat today with Bomi and learn more about her work. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 79. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a very special thanks to Bomi Lee for sharing your personal story with us today. We all wish you the best with your communications role at Sofanova and hope you have a good year ahead there in Paris. This episode was mixed by Liam McKenzie. Our music was curated by Jonathan Rinaldi Pohl and the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu and I look forward to talking with you again during the next season of Career Relaunch that kicks off in early 2022. In the meantime, I hope 2021's wrapped up nicely for you and the new year gets off to a good start. Happy holidays, happy new year, and please stay safe however you choose to celebrate.